Welcome in. My name is Farzim Vesugian. This is the Chief Zone Podcast. I am the host. I appreciate all of you guys downloading and listening to another episode of the podcast. New listeners, if this is your first time, welcome in. You're in for a big treat. We've got a great episode for you. Matt Miller of Bleacher Report will be joining us later on in the podcast. A lot to get into with Matt Miller. The Chiefs do, of course, have one of the more intriguing off-seasons in the NFL, and there's a lot to get into with Matt Miller, one of the best guys really to talk football with, and not just on a podcast or on a radio show, just just conversations with Matt Miller uh, about the game of football, or anything else for that matter, really uh, is a treat, and uh, definitely a lot of fun to talk to Matt, a good friend of the podcast, he will be on later in uh, just a moment here. want to remind you guys, the podcast for this month coming out on Tuesdays. I know generally they are released on Thursdays. have not decided exactly what date they will be released in the month of June. I've got a crazy schedule uh, coming up within the next couple of weeks and um, and in early June. Uh, but nonetheless, we will still be getting out episodes of the podcast. As I mentioned, Matt Miller is going to be on the podcast next week. Dan Shanka will be returning to the podcast as well. Another great draft scout and a, a great NFL analyst. Uh, as a matter of fact, Dan was on the podcast before, and if you guys may remember, he is a, a former Chiefs scout, also was a scout for the Kansas Jayhawks, so he has a lot of familiarity with the area here in uh, in Kansas City and in the state of Kansas, so he's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of fun to talk to. If you guys ever look up uh, depth charts for NFL teams online, if you see them under OurLads.com, that is under Dan Shanka's website. He does a great job with him. He and his team putting together those depth charts. And of course, one of the top draft scouts out there. He will be on the podcast next week. So definitely something to look forward to on the Chiefs Zone podcast. Dan Shanka will be on. And he's got a very interesting story. Uh, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit with him. But he mentioned this on this podcast uh, when he was on last time. It's been a couple of years but uh, he was uh, he was a scout under Dick Vermeil here in Kansas City, and he was he actually suggested he 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 was his expertise was with defensive linemen, and when the Chiefs wanted to draft Ryan Sims, he was trying to get into Carl Peterson's ear, Dick Vermeil's ear, letting them know, hey, look, we should be going after Albert Hainsworth. He was suggesting Albert Hainsworth over Ryan Sims, and fortunately, the Chiefs. Went with Ryan Sims. Not that Albert Hainsworth had an amazing career, but he did have a couple of really great seasons. Uh, more than what Ryan Sims had, unfortunately. But nonetheless, uh, th- that's one of the uh, more intriguing uh, stories uh, that Dan Chunka has shared on the podcast. I, I want to ask him another question about that when he's on next week because uh, I- I've thought about that to this day quite a lot. Like I said, that's one of the more interesting uh moments in Chiefs history where a lot of people were excited about Ryan Sims and unfortunately his career did not pan out. How does that all work behind the scenes with assistant coaches and scouts? What do they want? What does the head coach want? What does the GM want? What what do the front office guys really look for? And uh, there is something I want to ask him about that when he's on the podcast, plus much more analyzing uh, more of the Chiefs draft, their their offseason, so many things going on, especially with Pat Mahomes taking over as the quarterback. So a lot to get into with Dan Shunker. That'll be on next week's podcast. Matt Miller, he'll be on in just a moment. Of course, we'll talk to him. I want to talk about Kansas City for a moment and whether or not it's a football town or not. It sounds like a crazy question, but there is something to it that I'll get to in just a moment. 
And I also want to talk about the move to Las Vegas. And kind of interesting, I'm sure you guys all heard Monday morning the Supreme Court's ruling in making in, in legalizing sports betting across all 50 states in the in the country. So very interesting, interesting topic to get into. And the NFL has responded to this. I will get into that. Plus, at the end of the podcast, we will do our closing segments as we always do. And the most intriguing topic that I'll be discussing is the Matt Patricia deal. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard Matt Patricia a sexual assault incident that occurred two decades ago, more than two decades ago. And nobody knew about this. Very crazy, some of the details that have come out about this and the fact that nobody knew about it. And people are wondering, what in the hell do the Lions do next, knowing the situation that they're in right now in this investigation that the NFL has been conducting recently? Uh, ever since the uh, news came out about his past. So definitely something to get into uh, with that later on. I've got my thoughts on that, plus much more here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzee Vesugian. That is the Facebook page. Like and follow me on there. As I did with this podcast, I did select a question from the Facebook page. And I I try to do this with just about every guest. Some guests, uh, they're a little little bit limited on time. Last time we had Therese Paler, we couldn't get to a Facebook question with him. But if we do have uh, some time with certain guests, I definitely want to get a question from the Facebook page. And uh, we will be doing that. There is a question I really do like one of you guys asked. So I'll definitely ask that to Matt Miller. If you guys also have a question for Dan Shanka, feel free to post it on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Again, like and follow me on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Farzine21, and send me an email, farzine at farzinevesugian.com. If you haven't, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Spread the word with your fans, or your friends, excuse me, who are Chiefs fans, uh, or even non-Chiefs fans. Hey, uh, all listeners, certainly welcome to the podcast. All right, I want to start off by talking about something that that happened recently during the NFL draft. Well, actually something that I guess technically didn't happen. Uh, because I, I think for a brief period of time, the Chiefs were the little brother in Kansas City because of what happened with the Kansas City Royals. And this this has always been a football town. where Everyone knows Arrowhead, loudest stadium in the world. Uh, so many consecutive sellouts, I mean, the whole nine. You guys all know about that. And then when the Royals had their crazy postseason runs, going to the World Series back-to-back years, and even when they didn't make the World Series, they've still been the talk of the town in 2015 or, uh, 2016, rather, and as well as 2017. And all of a sudden, everyone said that this is a baseball town. Everyone was a diehard Royals fan. Everyone was a Royals fan since birth. All these crazy things. Not only that... After 2014, so during 2015 and 2016, the weekends of the draft, Fox Sports Kansas City, which airs almost all of the uh, the Royals uh, games, they they definitely took the time to brag about this. And look, rightfully so. Uh, but dur- during the weekend of the NFL draft, at least in the city in Kansas in the Kansas City area. Royals games got way more ratings than the NFL draft. Think about that for a minute. Because the Chiefs are always a big deal in town. When when it's time for training camp in late July, 
I mean, all the sports media guys in town, they don't want to talk about the Royals losing another game and looking terrible because they've done that for so many years. And, and trust me when I say this, having been around uh, some people in the media uh, and some of the guys who I've known for years, they've told me many times they look forward to the end of July because during the summer, it's so hard to find something to talk about. And even during the years when the Chiefs were bad under Todd Haley, Herm Edwards, they still looked forward to the end of July because that meant training camp was underway. And they didn't have to talk about the Royals as much because even fans in Kansas City shifted their attention to football after a long, bad summer of Royals baseball. Now, of course, everyone knows what happened in 2014. They went to the World Series crazy postseason run where they were undefeated going into the World Series against the Giants. And everyone just hopped on board uh, by that time. And, and people stayed on that train. And obviously, as I mentioned, in 2015 and 2016, Fox Sports Kansas City had uh, tweeted. And they really took the time to take pride in the fact that their ratings for Royals games were higher than the NFL draft on ESPN and on NFL Network. Well, this past weekend, or uh, a couple of weeks ago rather, people were not watching Royals games. Even when the Royal, or excuse me, the Chiefs did not have a first round pick, people were watching the NFL draft. I am going to squash this debate here because. I get it. I mean, the Royals were like that baby that everyone in Kansas City loved. And nobody cared about the Chiefs. I, let me just give you guys... A, a, I actually mentioned this not too long ago. Working at 610 during the 2014 season... Uh, when, I say, when I say 2014 season, I'm talking about the Chiefs' uh, 2014 season. When Royals baseball was finished and we were talking about the Chiefs on air... And I would do the, the night shift on 610 Sports Radio, uh, co-hosting and producing that. And... The text line on 610 just lit up when we talked about the Chiefs. People said, don't talk about the Chiefs. Talk about Royals offseason. Everyone wanted to hear about the Royals only. They didn't want to hear about the Chiefs. In 2009, I internet sports radio A10. Uh, this was actually right after I graduated from high school. And I remember as an intern, I would screen calls. Keatsman would go to a commercial and half the callers dropped because nobody wanted to stay on hold through a commercial break to talk about another terrible terrible Royals game. After a couple of games in, late in 2014 in the regular season and during the postseason, I mean, phone lines filled up fast for 610. Everyone wanted to stay on hold to talk about, about the game, every uh, post game. That's not the case anymore. And so many people, you know, the, and I've said this before, I've criticized fans in Kansas City for pretending to be longtime Royals, diehard Royals fans. I've always been a Royals fan. I've never I've never been big on the sport of baseball, but I certainly never claimed to be a diehard Royals fan. I know I've talked about them a little bit more on social media. I don't hide from that fact. But again, I, I also don't claim like I love this team from the moment I was born like a lot of people did uh, in 2014 and 2015. Well, a lot of those fans have trickled away now, and guess what? So have the ratings. Here's the bottom line, folks. Even during the terrible years the Chiefs have had, such as 2012, 2008, a couple of other years in between there, people still want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. 
People flew, fans flew banners above the stadium before games. People were starting Facebook pages wanting changes. I mean, people would call up sports talk radio stations complaining about the state of the Chiefs, even during their bad years. Nobody did that for the Royals. No one cared that the Royals were struggling so much. I'm here to squash this debate as to whether or not this is a football town or a baseball town. Because from 2014 through 2016, everyone called Kansas City a baseball town. And I disagreed with it completely. It was only a baseball town because the Royals finally brought home a championship to Kansas City. Something we have not had in a very long time for pro sports. Now, yes, we've had it for sporting Kansas City. But let's be honest, even though Kansas City is a big soccer town, it's still not as big. uh, The sport's still not as big to everybody in Kansas City. Whereas for Major League Baseball, the National Football League, I mean, those are a lot of people follow those leagues. A lot of people follow the sport of baseball and the sport of football. But don't tell me that this is a baseball town when people only followed this team closely when they were winning. And not just winning, they won at a high level. The only times, at least, I'm, I'm, I'm almost 27. I'll be turning 27 later this month. The only times I can recall... The Royals being good is 2003, which they fell short of the playoffs. And the only other years were 2014 and 2015. And they were World Series good. The only times I've seen the Royals actually play great, they went to the World Series those two years. And that's when people hopped on. The Royals all of a sudden missed the playoffs. You could see a huge decline. A year, about a year ago this time, local media reporters were talking about how the Royals could be in trouble re-signing guys like Eric Hosmer, Lorenzo Cain, because there aren't a lot of fans attending games. The Royals had actually the biggest drop-off in attendance in, in the major leagues. So don't tell me this is a baseball town. When you only followed this team, and I'm not saying I know not everyone listening is a Royals fan. There are a lot of Chiefs fans outside of Kansas City that don't, that don't care about the Royals. But a lot of people said that during those couple of years that this is not a football town. It's always been a baseball town. And I said complete BS to that. And I think the ratings, yeah, sure, they were great for the Royals. And listen, they were bad for so long. I can understand people not even following them for so long. I'm not criticizing them. I'm a KU fan. I also went to Lawrence. I, I went to KU, graduated from there, loved my time there. And I don't care what your college allegiance is. If it's MU, K-State, if it's Johnson County Community College, whatever it is. If we can just be objective and put our fandoms aside for a moment, let's all be realistic here. Why is it that Allen Fieldhouse, where the KU basketball team plays, why is it that they pack the house every single game versus seeing a bunch of empty seats at football games at KU. Well, there's a reason for it. It's not rocket science. It would be like, because I know uh, K-State fans and MU fans, they criticize KU fans for this, but let's be completely honest. If K-State's having a bad year in football or basketball, those arenas and stadiums aren't going to get packed. Same thing for Missouri. It's not a secret. I mean, people don't want to spend money on merchandise and tickets on a bad product. There's a reason why KU basketball sells out. And not only that, those tickets are pretty damn expensive. They really are. 
And all those students that line up trying to get into the student section, I mean, those fill up pretty quickly too. They Students have this weird system. They call it camping. I don't want to get into it. It's a really funky system to explain. But they pretty much dedicate a week of their time trying to reserve their spot in line, especially so they can be ahead of others. Uh, and again, it's a very weird system. But basically my point is students at KU will spend – a week, if their if their next home game is out for a while, they actually can dedicate multiple weeks to reserve their spot in line for, for getting into games. I know, crazy. But there's a reason for that, because the KU basketball team is one of the best out there in college basketball. I know the Chiefs have never been crazy good in the playoffs. Only one postseason win in 22 years, but... And don't get me wrong, 2014 and 2015, separately, those those seasons for the Royals better than any season the Chiefs have had combined in 22 years. However, the Royals just had one brief hot run, and that was just for two years. The Chiefs have actually been competitive and exciting to watch for a long time. Yeah, a couple of bad years here and there, but they've still been exciting to watch more more times than the Royals. And I'm not bagging on a team that went to the World Series back-to-back years. Again, don't get me wrong. Don't 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 take my words the wrong way. A championship year definitely is bigger than what the Chiefs have done in 22 years. But when the only times you're good were those two years, I mean, thank goodness they were good enough to get to the World Series because if it was just a short postseason appearance, well then they probably would not have been as big as they were now. And I know some people are still talking about that that exciting postseason run that they had in 2014 and in 2015, but it, it's fading away a lot now. This is not up for debate. This is not a, a topic that should even be discussed. But a lot of people, when they hopped on the Royals bandwagon, they just went ahead and called it a baseball town, and it never was. Even during those hot years, this was still a football town. People still followed this team, this football team, during the bad years very closely. They didn't do that with the Royals. And again, not criticizing guys. For, for uh, uh, Me too. I followed this baseball team closely when they got better because why the hell would I want to follow a team that missed the playoffs for 29 consecutive years? Just don't call it a baseball town simply because you hopped on the train right when they got good, and when they quickly went back to normalcy, the Royals that we actually know and love, not many people care. I was at Kauffman Stadium a couple of weeks ago, great weather on a Friday night, and I even posted a a video of, of a certain event that took place with the Soldier coming out, and also I took a picture of first pitch. A lot of empty seats, folks. And guess what? With the humidity in Kansas City during the summer... Uh, people are not going to want to go to see a bad product during bad weather like that. When the chi- when it's freezing cold for the Chiefs, people show up because it's worth it at that time. In 2015, the year the Royals won the World Series, there were sellouts during weekdays in crazy humidity weather. Weather was in the hundreds. There's a reason for that, but trust me, folks. And I'll bring it up later if I have to, if this turns into a debate for whatever reason with sports fans in Kansas City. This is not going to be 
a, a stadium, Kauffman Stadium, that is, that's going to seat a lot of fans when we get to the 90s and the 100s during that humid weather that we get during the summer in Kansas City. If the Chiefs played football during the summer, it would be packed. Because the Chiefs are a competitive football team. They have been for a long time. Again, a couple bad years here and there, but they've always been the more competitive team. And Kansas City has always been a football town. If you disagree, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Joining us on the podcast right now, he is a good friend of the podcast, been on this podcast many times. I've had the pleasure of meeting this gentleman in St. Joe for Chiefs Trading Camp a few years ago once. Uh, one of the best in the business, one of the nicest guys you'll come across, and also uh, a highly knowledgeable guy when it comes to the game of football, not just in the NFL, but also in the college ranks. And I, I would love to do an hour podcast with him. And unfortunately, we just don't have that kind of time, but we'll get to as many questions as I can because there's always something to learn from this guy. He is the lead NFL writer for Bleacher Report and their NFL draft scout. He is Matt Miller, and he is back here on the Chief Zone podcast. Matt, welcome back. How have you been? Man, I've been good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate all the kind words. It's uh, it's always fun when I get to stay somewhat local and talk about talk about the Chiefs, talk about what they've been doing, and and hopefully I'll run into you again at summer camp this year. And I really mean that too. I'm not saying that just because you're on the podcast and you've done me a favor so much uh, being on here and also uh, being on my uh, radio show in the past. Uh, you, you really do a great job uh, of of what you do. First of all, how long have you been with Bleacher Report? So it's funny, uh, we're recording this May 14th, and uh, seven years ago today, I quit my day job to take a full-time job with Bleach Report. So I've been there now seven and seven years and four months, I guess. Hey, that's awesome. That really is. The, the, the thing that you do, you really dissect this sport, especially the draft, and you do such an amazing job with it, and you don't always go 100%. No one does with these mock drafts, but... And with all due respect to your competitors, guys like uh, Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, so many guys out there, if you go on NFL.com or ESPN, you only see first-round mock drafts. If you want seven-round mock drafts, there are not many places to go. You're one of those people who actually goes way deep into this draft, and a lot of people actually appreciate that because, let's be honest, not everybody knows all the 256 guys that are getting drafted and the however many hundred guys that get signed uh, as uh, undrafted free agents. But you really do. You really do know these guys even before they declared for the draft. And you've got such a great knowledge of of these guys. What what I'm trying to get at here is leading up to the draft, you're doing so much studying of of this. And on top of that, you're a father of two. You've got your hands full with so many things uh, in your life already. How how much of your days are you spending leading up to the draft just – watching game film, evaluating these players, because you study them all. Yeah, it's it's a nonstop process. You know, like an accountant's going to go to work every day, and they might only be really busy, you know, during tax time. And it's kind of similar for me. Like, it, you know, it's it's May. There's no football games being played. There's, uh, But I'm going to be in the office today watching film on 2019 guys, or even there's still some 2018 guys that, like you said, undrafted guys get picked up. And, you really like their landing spot, so you're like, okay, well, I need to, I need to spend a little more time with this. So, it, it really doesn't ever stop. I mean, 
everyone's so excited about the 2019 draft that I know we're going to want to talk about it earlier than normal this year. So I'll be, I'll be digging in on even more on guys like Nick Bosa and Ed Oliver and Justin Herbert and Rashawn Gary. I mean, it's just a, it, it really is like, I would say, you know, I write two articles a week. I do two podcasts of my own a week. I, like you said, I do appearances on uh, podcasts and radio shows and, and, and TV shows and things like that. But the, the big, chunk of my job is is player evaluation and and making sure I get those right you said it never ends and it's an ongoing process there's got to be and I know in the NFL there is no offseason but uh, for a guy like you there's got to be some sort of dead period at some point when is that dead period exactly for you and how long does that go on for it's now it really is you know the first week after the draft is everyone thinks that like the pick 256 happens and I just get to like unplug it doesn't work that way like the, the week or two after the draft are still really busy for me and then it does start to, to die down a little bit a lot of it is you know like post-draft recap radio things like that take up a, a good amount of time but right now I mean I'm I'm about as relaxed as I'm going to be all year before it, it starts to get busy again in August but man the NFL is is so 365 now and that even that if I'm not you know like this morning I didn't have to be into my office early and it was like I'm just going to take the morning and like you know walk the dog and read and stuff and then like the Supreme Court news breaks that you know it's going to be state-by-state gambling is approved (laughs) and that affects like my job because I'm asked to do so many different things the Bleacher Report and I'll be doing a lot more college football this year so it's there's always something even if it's not okay today I have to write an article today I have to watch this player, there's always something that people are looking for an opinion on. You're a hardworking guy, man. I know you, you're always going strong, so I definitely appreciate uh, what you do and definitely very glad that we've got you on the podcast and we do this a couple of times a year. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because uh, this, this is a very interesting offseason, probably the more intriguing offseasons I can recall in a while, but I would say since the Alex Smith uh, addition, and ironically, this is now the offseason where they traded him away. It's a transition offseason under center, which is always a big one. Pat Mahomes coming in. We'll touch on the offense and, and, and Pat Mahomes uh, in a moment, but defensively speaking, a lot of people are, are, are down on this defense, I, I think is the best way to put it. And I'm not as down on this defense as some because I like the, uh, some of the additions they've made. Of course, Eric Berry's coming back, but so many longtime faces have been let go on this defense. And you look at the draft, every single draft pick was a defensive guy. Yes, McKenzie's going to switch uh, to the offensive side of the football, but the fact that they went after defense the entire draft, I, I think that's... That, that really sent a message about what the Chiefs are trying to do and the direction they're trying to go for, what they what they really thought of their team uh, going into that draft. I want to know from you defensively to start off here, what is your outlook on this Chiefs defense going into 2018? Man, I think they're going to be young, fast, and aggressive. And like you said, it is, it's going to be a different look without Derek Johnson in there, without Marcus Peters in there. But I, I think – once you get over the, the loss of those names, you know, Derek is I'm a I'm a huge Texas fan. I'm a huge Derek Johnson fan. You know, he was he's getting to the end of his career. At some point you have to get younger. And with Marcus Peters, I think it's a move that the front office hopes at least it can be addition by subtraction. And so there are names like, you know, is Kendall Fuller gonna be able to take on a bigger role? What's David Amerson still got in the tank? And like you said, it was such a defensive heavy draft that it, it's I think people 
it's not just as cut and dry as it has been in years past of, okay, we have a need, we drafted for it, boom, we're done. Because it is a lot of things like Breland Speaks is going to be asked to play outside backer. That's going to be a, a transition for him, but he's athletic enough, and it's going to be fun to watch him grow. I think the defense can hold its own. I really do. I think, you know, scheme is going to help a lot. Um, the pass rush is going to be the tone setter. And, and I think we're all going to look to see what guys like uh, Passing Young can do in year two. You know, Justin Houston, if he can remain healthy, I think can still be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And obviously Chris Jones is coming into his own at defensive end. So there's a there are a lot of you know, signature players, blue chip type players who could really set the tone. It's just a matter of getting them all together at the same time. Matt, being a guy who lives in Joplin, you're surrounded by a lot of Chiefs fans. You hear about this probably all the time, or you heard about it during the, the regular season and just how bad of a job Bob Sutton was doing uh, from the eyes of Chiefs fans. Uh, and I remember Michael Lombardi, uh, he, I believe he tweeted, I can't remember exactly if this is on his podcast or if he tweeted, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said something shortly after the Chiefs lost to Tennessee in the playoffs, something to the effect of how Bob Sutton has been informed that he's been uh, let go by the Chiefs, and so many Chiefs fans were excited about it. But not so fast. Lo and behold, we don't get a press release about any of that. We hear nothing from the Chiefs. This was never confirmed. And fast forward to now, Bob Sutton is still with that football team. So he is going to be the defensive coordinator going into 2018, provided that no extreme events take place from now until then. I'm curious, what's... What do you think of Bob Sutton? What's your take on him, and what kind of an improvement can he make in 2018 with this defense? Yeah, I think that is an interesting perspective, and some of that could be because you know national guys aren't aren't there every day. You know, I'm I'm considered a national guy. I'm not at Arrowhead every day. Uh, not like someone, uh, you know, like Therese uh, Taylor who covers the team every day, and he's going to be in there uh, and knows more of the intimate details. A lot of the times we're getting our information from top-level guys who aren't going to throw their D.C. under the bus. So I think with Sutton, it is a pivotal year. And I know that there's been some talk from people that I talk to up there that they say, oh, well, getting Eric Berry back is going to be the difference maker. Because, you know, you lose your center fielder, you lose your captain, it, it makes everything so much harder to do. And you lost also a leader, which is, is maybe why we saw some of the problems with Marcus Peters last year. But I think that – it is, it is a big year, and, and it's going to be a young team, so there's going to be mistakes made. But at the end of the day, like, are they going to be able to are they going to stop the run in the playoffs if they get there? You know, when everyone in the world knows Derrick Henry's about to run off left tackle, can you stop him? Last year they couldn't do it, and some of that's on the players, some of it's on the coaches. So I think it's not just on Bob Sutton, but, yeah, he has to do a better job this year. This is my last question on the defensive side of the football, uh, and I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times uh, recently. Going into that week one game to open up the NFL season where the Chiefs pulled off the center against the Patriots in Foxborough, the starting inside linebackers were Derek Johnson and Rameek Wilson. Fast forward to today, you've got Reggie Raglan and Anthony Hitchens. Raglan was just acquired right before training camp, and or during training camp rather, and Anthony Hitchens was signed right when free agency became official, and those are... Uh, the guys who are expected to be your two new starting inside linebackers what, what do you think of those two guys being the new uh, inside linebacking duo for the Chiefs in 2018? Yeah, they should be. I mean, the, the assets the Chiefs gave up to get both players, they should have huge roles. And I, I think this is the best inside linebacker duo the Chiefs have had in, in my time covering the NFL. And it's, with Hitchens, you're going to get a good athlete, 
with Ragland. I think he's a little bit more of a thumper, but he also has range. You know, they're both high IQ football players. Um, I, so I, I'm a fan. I really, I really do like that. And you know, most of my friends are Chiefs fans, and they're always like, "Man, I can't believe we let Derek Johnson go." And you know, I can't either. It, it hurts as a fan, but I, I think getting younger, faster, net cheaper are all the things that you have to do to build a long-term contender. Let's switch to the offensive side of the football. Listen, there are so many great players on this uh, on this offense. You've got Pat Mahomes, of course, who's going to be taking in a new role. And being a redshirt rookie year for him, you're going to need to give him all the help you can get. And the Chiefs are doing just that. You've got Kareem Hunt coming off a phenomenal year as a rookie, leading the league in rushing. And not only that... Uh, just about any running back does well under Andy Reid. So you know you're you're going to have a, a lot of success in that position. But not just that. You've got arguably one of the best tight ends in the league in Travis Kelsey. You've got two good wide receivers. Tyreek Hill, just a dynamic all-around offensive guy. And Sammy Watkins, who I think is going to do a better job in this role uh, with the position he is at currently in his, in, in his career at the moment. Uh, there are so many great guys around him, but and I think I echo the sentiments, Matt, of a lot of Chiefs fans who feel this way. The Chiefs are only going to be good as Andy Reid's play calling. And the crazy thing about it is when he let Doug Peterson uh, call the plays in 2015, in the second half of 2015, and late this past year with Matt Nagy getting uh, control of the play calling, well, there was a reason why the Eagles went after Peterson and the Bears went after Nagy. But uh, Eric Bieniemy, the new offensive coordinator, he won't be the play caller. It's still going to be Andy Reid. I understand the amount of success he's had throughout his career in the NFL, but can you help us comprehend why is it when there has been success in recent years letting uh, offensive coordinators call the plays, yet for whatever reason, he's going to remain the play caller going into 2018? Why is that? I mean, I, he never does. It's, that's just Andy being Andy. It's part of the it's part of the deal. And I, I think sometimes we can miss the force for the trees. And Andy Reid is one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. And I feel confident saying that. I know you're going to have listeners who completely disagree with that because they look at playoff losses. You still got to the playoffs, which when Andy Reid came to the Chiefs, this is a team that had the number one pick not that long ago and had struggled. And so I look at his foundation and the fingerprints that he has on the team and on this roster and understanding all the things that Andy does from coaching to the you know, player evaluation, the say he has in the draft and in free agency and trade. I think it's, it's really, it's, it's really impressive all the different things that he's able to do at a high level. Now, does he maybe need to loosen the reins a little bit on play calling? Yeah. I mean, and I said that last year and they went on, you know, they had that nice one when Nagy was calling plays that, okay, like, the offense is being aggressive, and we're taking downfield shots, and things are looser. But I, I think, you know, when the when the pressure mounts, I think Andy wants to be in control, and, and he's earned that right to be. Um, like you said, he, all the success that he's had, going back to even Green Bay as a coordinator, to where he is now, I mean, the, the guy probably looks around the room, and, and no disrespect to any of those other offensive coordinators, but he probably feels at some point like, I'm the best offensive coordinator in this room. This is my team. I want to call the shots. So, you know, hopefully we do see more of Eric Bieniemy's influence, and they, they are more aggressive this year. I've heard all the stories about they're going to implement more of the, you know, spread offense. They're going to try to get some things that are familiar for Pat Mahomes and take advantage of his mobility and his arm strength and his athleticism. But I think we're all waiting to see what that's going to look like. Matt Miller of Bleacher Report joining us here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Matt, uh, anytime I have a guest on, if we have the time for it, I'd like to take a question 
from some of the listeners uh, if there are one or two good ones. And there was a, an interesting one. I, never, I didn't even think of even asking you this. This one comes from David on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. He wanted to talk about the running backs. He wanted me to ask you if you think that the Chiefs are going to lean a little heavy on the running backs. And I'll even add maybe a, a little bit more to that because the Chiefs uh, added Kerwin Williams, Damian Williams. Uh, they let go of Akeem Hunt, who failed a physical recently. Uh, yeah, sure, you've got Kareem Hunt. You know he's going to be your starter, but uh, Kendrick West, he's a guy who I thought did well uh, as, a, as a backup running back last year. Spencer Ware, he suffered that injury in the preseason, and, and we don't know exactly how long, how long he'll be out for. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting group, and those Williams, the two Williams guys I mentioned, those are not guys fighting for a roster spot. Those are guys who can provide depth on an NFL roster at that position, I'm curious if you think one of the returning running backs could be one of the odd guys out in 2018. Do you think that could be the case? Who who do you think that could be, if so? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it is West at the end of the day, just because, like you said, the people they've signed and and looking you know down the road at contracts and things like that. But, you know, none of these players is making a lot of money. I, I think if we looked at, you know, how much are, are, is each running back depth charts being paid, the Chiefs are still going to be incredibly low because they stole Kareem Hunt in the draft. And even uh, like signing Kerwin Williams, I think he would be considered a guy that's like, okay, he, that's a name we've known because he's been around, you know, played with Arizona. If he doesn't make the team, I don't think anyone would be shocked. Damian Williams obviously has some talent, uh, and, and I liked him a decent amount coming out of college, uh, coming out of Oklahoma, but you know, like, there's a reason that he's been available. And, and so I look at guys like that and say, like, okay, we know these names or remember these players, but how quickly are they going to acclimate to the offense? Um, and I think the one thing that, that these moves say is they are you know, trying to look for someone who can help a little bit on third down and, and someone who can help in pass protection in situations like that. But, um, you know, I think, like you said, with Spencer Ware, it's all about timetables. We know Kareem Hunt is going to be the guy. And I expect we'll see a, a fun job in training camp between the rest of them. And actually, like Daryl Williams, the, the UDFA, they picked up from LSU a decent amount. So, it's going to be a nice little uh, running back competition that people can watch in training camp. Matt, I want to ask you about the AFC West because there are a lot of changes being made this offseason. Pat Mahomes, of course, the new quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. John Gruden, after spending so many years in the broadcast booth, now going back to coaching, and he's going to be with the Oakland Raiders. The Broncos are kind of interesting with Vance Joseph. I think there are a lot of questions about what kind of an improvement they can make. And the Chargers, when the Chiefs ran into a brick wall midway through uh the 2017 season, the Chargers and Raiders caught up, and the Chargers were the team that really seemed to uh, make the most noise and threaten the Chiefs to take over the AFC West. Fortunately, from a Chiefs fan's perspective, that didn't happen, but I think uh, they definitely put the AFC West on notice that they can compete with the rest. I'm curious, what's your take on the AFC West, and who do you think will come out on top at the end of the year? Well, I still think the Chiefs come out on top. Um, I just looking at it, I think the Broncos are going to be down unless, you know, unless Vance Joseph proves he can he can coach a heck of a lot better than he did last year. <laughs> Excuse me. I look at Oakland, and I'm not sure that I trust John Gruden as a head coach, especially after a lot of the moves they've made in the offseason. I'm kind of left scratching my head. I look at the Chargers as probably the best contender for that title in the AFC West, but you know, that's still a team that I, I think is figuring things out, especially, you know, the, some changing parts on the offensive line. They got to stay healthy. That's always one of the most hurt teams in the NFL, but there is a lot of talent there. And, and they added a heck of a player in Derwin James in the draft. 
Uh, they've got some speed on offense. They've got two young offensive linemen who are coming up. So I would look at the Chargers as like maybe a team that could figure it out and make a run at it. But it seems like they do that every year where they, you know, they'll have like a stretch of really good games and then somebody gets hurt and they kind of fall off and end up in, in the middle of the road. But I think the Chiefs are still in a good position if, you know, if Mahomes plays like we all think he can and, and lives up to where he was drafted and lives up to a lot of the hype we've heard coming out of Kansas City, then I, I think they should be the favorite. Matt, before we let you go, uh, of course I mentioned you're, you're on BleacherReport.com. That's where a lot of your work is. But I know you do some stuff uh, outside of the website. You've got your social media on Facebook and Twitter. You've also got the uh, podcast that you mentioned earlier on. Uh, how can fans uh, interact with you, follow you on social media, and how can they access these podcasts? Yeah, man. I mean, everyone can follow on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Like you said, I have a podcast that is, is two episodes per week and maybe going to three. That was something we played with during the draft week. Uh, so stick to football. You can follow it uh, on Twitter or Instagram at stick to football. You can download it uh, through Apple Podcasts, and obviously it, it fits there in the Bleacher Report app too. So uh, it's not just your standard football podcast. We try to have a lot of fun. We definitely talk a lot of barbecue and, and beer and some Royals baseball and a lot of different things to try to try to keep it light, especially in the summer. Hey, are you going to any Royals games this year, or have you gone to any Royals games this year in KC? Yeah, I've already been to two this year, so um, but hopefully I'll get up to a couple more. I try to avoid Kaufman once it hits like ninety, you know. So yeah. I might be back in like September when it hopefully cools off a little bit. So no, I've actually gone to two. I uh, was just there, I guess, a week ago uh, for a Friday night game. So one of my favorite places to to be during the summer. But as y'all know, it's just too damn hot in Kansas City to sit outside for a day game. Yeah, no question about it. It's it's crazy uh, this time of the year. The weather's starting to heat up. I know we had a crazy spring with the temperatures but it's uh starting to heat up now and uh you know the royals have they've showed a little bit of improvement lately uh but man uh it, it is hard to want to go out there especially when the product isn't as good uh at the moment unfortunately uh but nonetheless uh matt miller he is great products or his articles over at the uh, bleacherreport.com Matt, definitely appreciate the time. I know you're a very busy guy. You do a lot of radio hits across the country. Uh, you're one of the more requested guys out there. So I definitely appreciate you making time for us. And hopefully we can talk to you again uh, before the regular season kicks off. Sounds great, man. I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate it, Matt. There he is. Matt Miller, off he goes here on the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Really does a terrific job with everything. And, of course, always learning a lot from him. And I always like to hear uh, his perspective on certain things with the Chiefs, if it differs from mine or, or if he's got a unique outlook uh, on certain things that maybe uh, I had never thought of or other people I've never really brought up before. So definitely always good to talk to Matt Miller. And hopefully we can get him on sometime uh, before training camp or at the very least before the regular season gets underway. I do want to spend a moment talking about What's going on with uh, the NFL right now? And, of course, the the Supreme Court uh, legalizing sports betting, making it a state-by-state thing. So uh, for those who live in the Kansas City area, if you want to do sports betting, maybe there's a possibility that they change that in the in the, in the state of Missouri, the state of Kansas. I don't want to get too much into, into those details because there are still some things that we're not completely sure of, you know, how exactly that's going to be done. I do want to say this. A lot of people are saying that this really hurts Vegas. Let's just be completely honest about one thing. People don't go to Vegas to go make a sports bet. For years now, you can you can do that on your laptop, on your smartphone. I mean, there are so many ways to, to be involved with sports betting and doing it online 
Now, I guess if you want to do it in a casino, you can do it cross-country. It just depends on each state, and I think a lot of states are definitely going to uh, make note of that. Of course, uh, Chris Christie, uh, former New Jersey governor, he was really big on this and uh, was asking for a lot of support, and he got a lot of support on this. And I've seen a lot of polls on social media, state-to-state, people asking, should the state of Virginia legalize it now, the state of Texas, and so on. And a lot of people... Uh, uh, have voted yes to that. So a lot of people definitely want to see these states uh, approve that. And I think it would be good for each state. Uh, again, I think maybe uh, the Vegas take, uh, the, the Vegas uh, sports books, they take maybe a bit of a dip on this. Because if, if you go to Vegas, you might say, okay, well, I can do this at home, no big deal. But for the most part, uh, I, I don't think it's going to make a big impact. People, especially people who are under 21, they have this preconceived notion uh, that people people only uh, above the, at the age of 21 or over can have fun in Vegas, and that it's a it's a casino place. There's nothing else to do. No, 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 no. Uh, people, I mean, that's a completely inaccurate con- uh, conception of of what Vegas is. Yeah, sure, casinos are a big deal in that city, don't get me wrong, uh, but there's more to it than than gambling, completely more to it. Now, with that said, the NFL released a statement Monday early afternoon, uh, as this was a huge topic in sports media on Monday. The statement reads, the NFL's longstanding and unwavering commitment to protecting the integrity of our games Uh, or excuse me, our game, remains absolute. Congress has long recognized the potential harms posed by sports betting to the integrity of sports contests and the public confidence in these events. Given the history, we intend to call Congress, to call on Congress again, this time to enact a core regularity framework for legalized sports betting. We uh, We also will work closely with our clubs to ensure that any state Efforts that move forward in the meantime protect our fans and the integrity of the game. I say complete bullcrap to this. You're talking about, and again, I know what I just said with Vegas. It, it, yeah, sure, casino is a big deal, but it's not the only thing there. However, everyone knows that's the that's a pretty big deal in that city. You are moving a team to Las Vegas. In the Oakland Raiders. And I actually do want to get into that in the moment, by the way. But there's going to be a team there at, at, at the latest in 2020. So, and by the way, there's a funny rule. This is the only thing I can say in defense of the NFL. They actually have a rule that an NFL referee is not allowed to be in the city of Las Vegas during football season because of sports betting. And with the Raiders moving to Las Vegas, that has to change because there will be referees that will be going to officiate games there 10 times a year, uh, plus maybe another game or two if if they make it to the playoffs. Now, if... For example, the state of Missouri, if they legalize it, well, you know, you've got a couple of casinos in Kansas City, Ameristar, uh, Argosy Casino, you've got Harris. So at that point, you would have NFL referees flying into Kansas City where 
there are a couple of casinos there, and in the state of Missouri, they they have they, they do they could allow sports betting. So I can understand the NFL from that perspective. However, the NFL's got to find a way to now work around that. And by the way, I, I do want to say this because I mentioned this before. If an NFL referee, and let's be honest, we recognize a few NFL referees out there at Hockley, uh, former uh, referee. Uh, and his name escapes my mind right now, the former CBS analyst who was really bad at it in terms of getting certain calls wrong. Um, boy, uh, this is killing me right now. Uh, I, I can't think of uh, his name. Uh, but anyway, I mean, there there's some recognizable faces out there among NFL referees. But there are also some referees that you might look at and that's the first time you've ever seen that referee or at least you can recall that's the first time. Maybe you've seen him before and you just absolutely don't even remember this referee. Plus there are also those... Oh, Mike Carey, by the way, was the guy who I was thinking of. Uh, it was killing me even while I was talking. But uh, there are also those side judges, back judges, uh, so many different, uh, I guess, assistant referees, officials, whatever you want to call them, who are also on the field, and of course they're also referees, but we don't even know who they are. The only way we know their names is if we actually look into detail online who, who were the other referees on the field, who, who who was part of that officiating crew. NFL teams do release that on game days, uh, on their uh, media guides, but that's really it. No one's, no No fan cares to look that stuff up, and even if they do know them by name, they don't know what they look like. Let's say Ed Hockley, the the, uh, back judge who worked week one with Ed Hockley. Do we even know what he looks like? Even if we know his name, we don't know what in the world he looks like. He could easily walk into the Venetian in Las Vegas and walk around the casino. No one's going to recognize him. No one knows who he is. So this whole rule about the NFL and their strict policy with referees visiting Las Vegas and I guess now... Any city that or state that has uh, legalized sports betting, they're going to have to make a change with that. That's the only reason I can imagine why the NFL would be so opposed to this. This whole thing about integrity and uh, come on, do you know how many arrests you have? And I don't care what side of the fence you lean on with the national uh, anthem protesting. But you want to talk about league integrity, a lot of people are going to bring up the the protesting during the national anthem. So, uh, and again, whatever side you're on with that, uh, that, that, that's not what this is about. My point is, if you're going to talk about integrity, there people have a lot of ammunition to use against the NFL now with that, that really terrible statement that it released. Again, my only thought is that the, the only way I could defend the NFL here is is that policy with referees in visiting the city of Las Vegas because of sports betting. So I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen moving forward. And this is a topic for another time, but I do think it's kind of intriguing with college athletes not being paid. Yeah, sure, they get a lot of them get scholarships and, and, and whatnot. But people have been able to bet on college players for a while now, especially with the NCAA tournament, all of these bowl games, and now it could be a countrywide thing. So it's going to be, and by the way, I bring that up because if you've ever been to an NCAA tournament game, and I went to the one at the Sprint Center last year between KU and Oregon in the Elite Eight game, and during commercials, of course, up on the 
video board at the Sprint Center. They run a couple of ads while the game is on commercial. And one of the commercials they ran uh, at the Sprint Center, I don't think this one made it on TV, but it was basically trying to squash sports betting and even uh, trying to get people to not even do sports betting legally to completely avoid sports betting as a whole. So obviously, you know, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NCAA, they probably don't like this ruling from the Supreme Court. But I listen, I really don't see the harm in this. Again, I hate that you can bet on college athletes when they're not making money, yet at least with pro athletes, they do make money when they're going out there fighting, uh, you know, on, on the field and whatnot. But I say get over it. You you, you just got to move on. It's a different time. Sports betting is very popular. If you watch a UFC match, when the ring announcer is introducing each fighter, of course, when they, they have the graphic, they show their record, what city they're from, and then they also show... If they're the, they show the betting odds, if they're the favorite or if they are the underdog in the fight. So you have that as well. And it kind of makes you wonder if CBS, Fox, NBC, NFL Network, ESPN at the beginning of every game, they would maybe start showing that on the bottom of screen saying, all right, well, the Chiefs are uh, favorites to win this at minus, and I'm just throwing a number out there, at minus 325, and the Broncos are underdogs at plus 500 or excuse me that's the other way around plus 500 for the Chiefs and minus 325 for the Broncos so you have that as well uh the UFC does that and you might you're I'm, I'm curious if all of these broadcasting networks that air NFL games if they would follow suit and maybe do something similar in showing uh odds for these games let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Email me as well. Farzine at Farzine One thing I do want to discuss regarding the Oakland Raiders. Uh, their lease is up after this year. And I was listening to Sirius XM uh, NFL Radio over the weekend. And they discussed this uh, on Saturday afternoon. Their lease is up after 2018. And look, uh... I understand that you watch the game for the players. You don't care about... Truth be told, we don't care about a lot of the people behind the scenes. But the truth of the matter is, there is a team behind the team that make things happen. They make it possible for the Raiders to go out there and play their games on Sundays or Mondays, Thursdays, whenever. As we know, the Las Vegas Stadium is expected to be open in 2020. uh, But the Raiders... Lease with the Oakland Coliseum is up after this season. Where do they play in 2019? Will it be Sam Boyd Stadium, which is where UNLV plays? It's way off the strip. Uh, not the most ideal place to play if you're going to be Vegas's team, uh, the Vegas team in the NFL. But for a year, okay, I guess it's doable. Uh, will they stay in Oakland for another year? Do they share with the 49ers? Do they play elsewhere in California for one season? The Raiders must figure this out fast show some respect to your employees the pr guys the media and production staff the ticket the ticket operations folks stadium development operations security finance community relations marketing guys client services so on and so forth so many people who work for that organization who probably still want to 
be employed with this team, but they need to know sooner rather than later if they need to make a move anytime soon. When the Rams uh, moved from St. Louis to L.A., they was discussed, but the it quote-unquote officially happened pretty suddenly. It was kind of a sporadic thing. Yes, players and coaches need to know too, but I don't have as much sympathy for them because, yes, they have a family, they have kids too, at least some of them do, but I don't have much sympathy for them because those guys make a lot of money and those guy, for those guys to move themselves and or their families is a little easier because they're not living paycheck to paycheck. Some of those people working in security or marketing, uh, sure, I mean, they, some of them might make good money, but not as good as an NFL player. Even those that are making a few hundred thousand dollars as a late-round draft pick, I mean, they still make significantly more than what someone makes uh, in the marketing department for the Raiders. So I think you've got to show some respect to some of the employees for the Oakland Raiders and let them know soon. Figure this out soon. Do they do they need to find another job if they're unwilling to move from Oakland to Las Vegas? If if they if they want to stay with the team, regardless of where they move, well then they need to figure out in advance. Uh, you know if they need to put their house for sale, if they need to uh, go house hunting in Las Vegas or wherever for 2019 and beyond. Uh, I, I, I think it's unfair that a sports franchise, you know, you're raking in millions of dollars and you should have the capability of figuring these things out years in advance, but teams just don't seem to do that. They play this by ear and it's the team behind the team that gets hurt the most by this. And yeah, sure. We, we can talk about Farrah on Farrah. I'm actually going to bring that up later on in the podcast uh, in just a moment, actually. Uh, but you you got to show some respect to your employees. You really do. And I hope the Raiders figure this out real quickly. Because if this was the Chiefs, certainly there would be somebody in that office at one Arrowhead Drive that's wanting to know, what's my future with the team? Am I still going to be employed? Am I going to follow the team if they're moving somewhere? Hopefully never the case with the Chiefs, but you get the idea. Let me know your thoughts. On all of that. Facebook.com slash Farzivasugian. Twitter.com slash Farzivasugian. Also my email. Farzine at Farzivasugian.com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Charlie Casterly reported over the weekend that the Indianapolis Colts have no doubt that Andrew Luck, quarterback, of course, in case you... Forgot who he is or what he does. Uh, they have no doubt that he'll be ready by training camp. He's been participating in off-season practices, but not doing a whole lot. Just taking snaps under center, giving handoffs, and then not a whole lot of activity. No passing uh, for him, at least not yet. Uh, look, I, I guess just for the sake of having a good product out there, let's hope he is indeed ready. And certainly Indianapolis Colts fans want this to happen. Because once upon a time, there was a moment where everybody wanted to, quote, suck for luck. Remember that? Uh, I know I was part of that bandwagon at some point. Crazy enough, here's what's so bizarre to me is that the two most coveted quarterbacks coming out of the draft uh, over the last few years, Andrew Luck and Deshaun Watson, have dealt with a lot of injuries. In their careers. Now, Watson, yeah, sure, he's only played one season, so we can't necessarily say that his career has been derailed by injuries, but so far, 
Uh, if we were, we're just going to judge a guy on one season, that's that's been the case for him. Uh, whereas for Luck, uh, well, he's, had, he's he's dealt with some issues over the past couple of years. Missed all of 2017. 2014, he led the league with 40 touchdown passes. 2016, he was fifth with 31 touchdowns. Got injured in Week 16. That was against the Raiders, and that really gave the Chiefs an opportunity to eventually win the AFC West. Uh, but nonetheless, he has not played 16 games since 2014. Played 7 games in 2015, and he had a really bad season that year. 15 touchdown passes and 12 picks. Look, I, I hope he comes back and does well for the Colts, but my, my point being here is, a lot of people really wanted their teams to tank just so they could get this guy. And again, look at Deshaun Watson. If Watson had a phenomenal rookie, probably would have been the rookie of the year had he played all 16 games. But man, uh, I think this just shows you, and I've said this before, draft placement is completely overrated, and I think fans make such a big deal out of it. But not just that, don't buy too much into the hype for certain guys. Yes, it's okay to want to really want a certain player, uh, but at the same time, if you don't get a certain guy, it's not the end of the world. There are other quarterbacks out there uh, who can help you win championship games. Uh, other running backs, wide receivers, so on and so forth. It's not like one specific wide receiver. If you don't get him, it's the end of the world. Uh, I'm sure, again, we, we, we can demand and want certain guys, but it's not like only one player can make a total difference in the sport. Let's keep that in mind. One thing that NFL teams are going to certainly keep in mind, the fact that Josh McDaniels has rubbed a lot of teams the wrong way uh, in his coaching career so far. He was quoted saying that he definitely wants to be a head coach again. Well, that's funny because you verbally agreed to take the Colts job back out of it. And here's what's crazy about it. The Colts actually went after the offensive coordinator that actually won the Super Bowl in taking uh, Eagles offensive coordinator, Frank Reich. Listen, McDaniels also had a bad stint with the Broncos. And NFL teams, they actually have more of an issue with the backing out of the Colts deal than that horrid Broncos run he had. And teams teams are not going to trust Josh McDaniels when they want to hire a head coach. The only realistic chance McDaniels has of being a head coach is to replace Bill Belichick because really the only NFL team out there that probably even trusts him the New England Patriots and who knows when Bill Belichick is going to retire it might be a while so uh, best of luck to McDaniels if he, re- if he quote definitely wants to be a coach again final story in this segment surprising one Sean Payton would quote absolutely consider Adrian Peterson, a reunion with Adrian Peterson in New Orleans. I'm sure you guys may remember AP and Peyton never really clicked, didn't really get along. AP was upset with his playing time. Uh, they were caught on camera going back and forth, some of the faces, and uh, they, they were winking at each other when one had turned their back on the other, most, more so AP. But hey, you know, with Mark Ingram suspended for four games, and supposedly there's a report saying that the Saints won't lean on Alvin Kamara, who edged out Kareem Hunt for Rookie of the Year. I guess you could say grown men can let bygones be bygones, but let's be honest, it's more of a fact that desperate times calls for desperate measures. But look, 
when you're dealing with a player like that who's going to serve a suspension, do anything you can. Maybe the Saints learned something about AP when he went to the Cardinals saying, okay, look, maybe we made a mistake here. Let's get a redo on this. If we can really set egos aside, we can do a better job of, of working with him and use him in this way this time and do a better job of it. Let bygones be bygones. Sure, that could be part of it. We'll see. Let's go out of bounds. We're essentially a week or so away. We're one series away in the NBA playoffs from getting yet another Warriors and Cavaliers rematch in the NBA Finals. This would actually be the fourth consecutive year in a row that would happen if the Warriors and the Cavaliers can advance. Now, the Cavaliers fell behind a really bad loss on Sunday to the Celtics. Uh, But here's a question I want to pose. Is this good or bad for the NBA? And I think it's a mix of both. It's good because you've got two big names. Well, I guess you could say three big names that are going to be playing in the NBA Finals. You've got LeBron James, who, of course, has been making a lot of noise this postseason. And even when he's losing or having a bad game, everyone is still talking about LeBron James. And he's always going to lead the headlines, even after a terrible game. And then on the other side of it, with Golden State, you've got Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry. And, of course, the Warriors. I mean, they've done a great job of building that that team for a couple of years now. Then the other side of it, is this bad for the NBA? Well, what's going on with all the other teams that for four years in a row, assuming the Cavaliers can get over this uh, bad start they've got early on in in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and if both teams advance, why? What's going on with all the other good teams out there? Because there are other good teams, but are they just really good, but just barely not good? I mean, I don't know what to say. It is kind of crazy that we're a week or so away from seeing the same NBA Finals matchup for four consecutive years. What does that tell you about all of the other franchises out there? I mentioned this last year, I believe, that there was an NBA exec who wanted to remain anonymous that said, hey, look, there are teams out there that are actually hoping that the Cavalier, or excuse me, Golden State Warriors deal with a lot of injuries. Essentially wishing injuries upon other players, and you never want to beat teams that way. You want to beat teams at their best because that shows a lot about your team. Uh, But it seems like, realistically speaking, uh, some NBA execs out there are writing the Warriors in at least from the Western Conference side of things and look I think wherever LeBron is uh, whether it's Miami or Cleveland uh, they just assume that the Heat and the uh, Cavaliers are going to go to the finals so this is always the anticipated matchup and it kind of makes you wonder what is it about the other teams that they cannot edge out the, the Warriors or the Cavaliers to get this point something worth thinking about When you watch the NBA Conference Finals this week. A boxing star was born over the weekend. Vasyl Loanchenko. And I'm not a big boxing guy. But uh, among MMA fans. uh, With combat sports fans. MMA fans seem to be behind this guy. So I've been familiar with Loanchenko for a little bit now. Uh, He won the WBA Super Lightweight title. On Saturday, defeating George Linares by TKO at MSG, started his career one and one, and has won his tenth straight fight 
on Saturday. Listen, I, I, I'm, a, I'm familiar with a couple of boxers out there. Anthony Joshua, I know, is a big one. And I got a little familiar with him because there was talk about him doing a crossover fight with uh, a UFC heavyweight champion, Stipe Miocic, because of what Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather uh, did at the time. Listen, I don't know what it's going to take to revamp boxing because you're seeing other combat sports kind of take place. WWE, no, not a sport necessarily, but it still falls under the combat sports umbrella, and that gets way more attention than boxing. The UFC has really grown over the years. You had some guys uh, in the last part of uh, the previous decade that helped put the UFC on the map, and then the past couple of years, some big-name stars like Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, who rode to the occasion, and they uh, helped put the UFC, or not put them on the map, but make them even bigger. Uh, so I think bo- the sport of boxing is really relying on Lomachenko to help the sport basically come back from the dead again. Because outside of McGregor, a UFC fighter who came over, I mean, that drew huge numbers. Current boxers cannot draw big numbers. But a boxer who is retired in a UFC fighter who's never competed in a boxing match. I mean, they scored high with pay-per-view numbers and, and, and paychecks here. It kind of similar to the NBA story. What's going on with boxing? Is there anyone out there that can really make a big name for themselves and help the sport uh, get revived in a way? I don't know. Uh, Lomachenko seems to be that new foundation of hope that the sport of boxing is relying on. And by the way, speaking of the UFC, the UFC has booked a match between two former NFL players, Greg Hardy and Austin Lane. And I'll just tell you this right now, and it's going to be part of the Dana White contender series where they grab a lot of amateur fighters or fighters that fight professionally for regional promotions, and they compete... And uh, they, they do five matches uh, a week. And the, fi- the, the they'll take usually the most impressive fighters from uh, from the event each week. And they'll hand them a UFC contract. So it could be one guy, could be two, maybe three. There was one guy from Kansas City who actually lin- who got a win and earned himself a contract from the Dana White Contender Series. I'm just going to say this right now. It could be a hot take. Tom Bahali would beat both of those guys. And I, in fact, I think he would have a better UFC career than Greg Hardy and Austin Lane. And here's why I say this. Holly is coached, and I mentioned this before, which I think is really cool. Holly is coached by the best jiu-jitsu coach in MMA and Henner Gracie, as well as the legendary Gracie family. Uh, for those who don't know who Henner Gracie is, uh, he, he's coached some well-known MMA fighters out there. Uh, such as Ronda Rousey, and I know I've been critical of her, but we cannot forget about what she did. For the sport at one point. CM Punk, no, not a great fighter by all means. But uh, he's a big name in the sport right now. And also Brian Ortega. Uh, Brian Ortega, for those who don't know, he's an undefeated fighter. And he's going to get his first ever title shot this summer in the featherweight division. Uh, so the Gracie family, they coach a lot of great guys. So I have no doubt that Tom Bahali, and I believe he's a blue belt in jiu right now. Uh, he might need to work on his striking a bit. But I think his jiu-jitsu alone... Coached by one of the best in the sport uh, and in the martial art of jiu-jitsu. He would easily handle both Greg Hardy and Austin Lane and have a better career. I'd be intrigued. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe this is not his ideal plan. But I would actually be intrigued to see Tom Bahali 
in MMA. I think he would actually do decently considering the guys he works with in the offseason to help him train. Let me know your thoughts. Because I'd be curious, if you're an MMA fan, you're probably familiar with that part of Tom Bahali. But I think he would do a better job than Greg Hardy and Austin Lane. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. Alright, I hope you all had a great Mother's Day over the weekend. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. Happy Mother's Day to all the great moms out there. Uh, I do want to say one thing, though. There are some people out there, especially some moms, who... Nowadays, with the social media era that we live in, it's so big now. Everyone's wanting to post a photo and say something special about their mom, and that's fine. But there are some people who kind of take it to a weird level. It's... It ends up not being a post about the relationship with your mother. I mean, say something special about your mom or say make a special memory. Some people make it to the point where they say, uh, oh, well, uh, happy Mother's Day to my single dad who, uh, uh, you know, has raised me his whole life alone. And sure, I mean, I get that. You You can respect the part where people raise you alone. But when you say something, oh, my mom's better than all of your moms. Okay, all right. Now we're getting to the point where you're making it a competition. You know, you can explain in a way that your mom or your dad, your sibling, your husband, your wife, whoever, that they're the best out there without putting down other people who read that and say, oh, okay, well, they're making it a competition now. Because at that point, now you're just bragging over it. And I'm not saying we should not brag about our our loved ones, but when you word it like that, you're just trying to do it for likes and for attention or, 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 or something crazy like that on social media. And I think way too many people in this social media era are out there writing posts just for the simple fact that they're not actually trying to uh, say something special about their loved ones when they do so. They're trying to make it more about themselves so they can Get those clicks, get those Instagram likes. And that's a big part of what's wrong with our society today. Let's slow it down a little bit with some of our comments on social media. And be a little more rational. Now, I'll admit also, I'm asking for too much right there. Because that's pretty much impossible in uh, in this time with uh, society. I think Major League Baseball is going to start to get a little lazy now. I was watching Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN and Arizona, the Arizona Diamondbacks who were playing the Washington Nationals, they uh, brought back a bullpen cart uh, which they uh, they use to transfer players from the bullpen to the mound quicker and this is mainly due to the fact that uh, the MLB introduced uh, a couple of years ago, the, uh, this the, this new uh, clock uh, in between innings, but they also started doing it now for pitching substitutions, where they want pitching changes to occur a little bit more quicker. Now listen, players are complaining because no pitchers specifically because they feel out of breath once they go from the bullpen to the mound, and they need to get their five warm up pitches before the clock runs out. I think we're just getting lazy here. We really are. Uh, Because in the past, pitchers would take their time. There was no clock. And now that there is, they want to hurry hurry it up. Umpires, however, 
they 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 don't they they ignore the clock and they let the pitchers you know get all of their amount of pitches in there is a rule people don't know this in the MLB rule book there is a rule that says and I don't know maybe they've changed it uh, but when the pitching clock was introduced if the clock says 0.00 and if the batter is not on the batter's box if a pitcher just throws a pitch from the mound to the catcher, it's an automatic strike, no matter how bad the pitchers or how off it could be. But players haven't done that in respect to the fact that, you know, they, they're going to let the batters walk up and do their thing. Uh, and even umpires don't have it enforced. They even stand out of the way just to let the uh, batter get to the batter's box, take their time, do their little uh, routine where they take a practice swing and then step into the batter's box. So it hasn't necessarily been enforced. And it's one of those rules... I don't even think a lot of players even know about it. Similar to how Donovan McNabb didn't know that uh, a, a game could end in a tie. A regular season game could end in a tie. Um, but look, stop the laziness. I think at the end of the day, uh, we're trying too hard. The whole pitch clock thing. I'll say this, being with the Royals, uh, they do have a guy that has to check on the clock and if it goes to zero seconds they have to write how many seconds does it take after time hits zero seconds that it takes for the game to go underway and I think maybe that's what Major League Baseball is trying to do and the Diamondbacks are trying to work around that a little bit who knows alright this is a very serious one this has to do with the Detroit Lions uh, with Matt Patricia the former defensive coordinator of the New England Patriots, uh, spent 13 seasons under Bill Belichick as an assistant and is now the head coach of the Detroit Lions, who uh, has been accused of a sexual assault incident that took place uh, a long time ago, 22 years to be exact. And he says it did not happen. The Detroit Lions backed him up on this. However... There is a sexual assault case that surfaced from 1996 against Patricia. The Detroit Free Press obtained some documents. And basically the documents uh, have, have basically a witness list that included a nurse, a doctor, a police detective, a police officer, and a college friend of the alleged victim. Uh, Belichick, by the way, he's also uh, backing up Patricia on this. Apparently, no one was ever aware that Patricia was involved in such incident and was was arrested for this. The Lions said that he went through a pre-employment background check and this n- somehow never came up. Former NFL executive Joe Banner admitted he's done two uh, head coaching searches for the Eagles and another two for the Cleveland Browns. He admitted this could have happened to him and any other GM out there. Look, imagine this, because this is what happened with the Detroit Lions. They fired Jim Caldwell on the first day of the new year in an attempt to improve the franchise. They hire Matt Patricia. He was quote-unquote hired during the Patriots' postseason run to the Super Bowl. But they officially hired him on February the 5th because these hirings cannot officially happen until the assistant coach is done with whatever team they are with. But nonetheless, three months into Patricia's job with the Lions, this comes up. Something from 22 years ago. Now, listen, I do agree 
that everyone deserves a second chance. If you do something really bad, you've got to learn from it. You, but, but you also have the right to move on and, and find some sort of work out there. I mean, look at all, look at all the NFL players who have done things. You know, we have some that have in Kansas City who have done certain things, and they still kept their jobs out there. So why should Matt Patricia be held to a different standard? However, again, kind of what I was saying earlier about this whole social media environment that we're in now and how everything is a big deal. This could be a very bad look for the Lions. And I think it's more so because of the fact that for whatever reason, this was hidden for a very long time about Matt Patricia. The Patriots didn't know about this. The Lions, who claim that they did a pre-employment background check on him and he passed with flying colors, supposedly. And this, this all comes up. And even though this was 22 years ago, the fact that this was hidden for so long... It could be a very bad look for the Detroit Lions. What do you do at this point? Do you keep him? Do you let him go just to avoid bad PR? I mean, what do you even do at this point? This is a nightmare situation for any sports franchise. To hire someone and three months into the job, still in the offseason, to deal with this strange scenario... Learning about an incident that happened years ago, and you you kind of have to wonder what kind of a picture does this paint for your franchise? How, how do people view your franchise? What are Detroit Lions fans saying? Because when Mike Vick came to the Chiefs as a coaching intern, a lot of Chiefs fans were outraged, saying that they are boycotting the team, they're never going to support the team ever again. People said the same thing about Tyreek Hill when he was drafted a couple of years ago. And Tyreek Hill is now one of the most popular players on the team. So how do you even view this right now? I'll, I'll just say this right now because let's be completely honest. We know what happened with Tyreek Hill and his popularity. It's because of what he did on the field. If the Detroit Lions have a 5-0, 6-0, 7-0 start to the season, this whole thing about Matt Patricia goes away immediately. No one even, it's an afterthought at this point. Remember Mark Mangino of the Kansas Jayhawks? He won Coach of the Year during that remarkable 2007 year where the Jayhawks went on to win an Orange Bowl against Virginia Tech. And then what happens just a year later when KU, uh, or, or two years later rather, all of a sudden KU starts losing and all of these allegations against Mark Mangino comes up and he eventually gets fired at the end of the year. When you're winning, everything goes perfectly. When you're losing, all of a sudden, people will do anything and everything to bring up things from your past. Look at the presidency, and I'm not referring to just Trump. But even with past presidents, uh, uh, those who, who have been elected as presidents, Obama, uh, Bush, there were s- some negative stories that came up about them before they became president. And, and the same thing with Donald Trump. I know it was much bigger with Trump. But the point being is, anytime someone's trying to go for something big, all these big stories about them come up from their past. And sports are no different. Politics, no different. People who work in media, 
I mean, I mean, there have been people out there who have been accused of doing certain things, and all of a sudden, they're out of a job because of this tie-in that they're involved with. And again, we can talk about, is this fair? If Matt, if the Lions start the season undefeated through 9-10 games, pretty much Matt Patricia dodges a big bullet here. Is that fair? I, I don't know. As Chiefs fans, we should be asking ourselves that question with the whole Tyreek Hill situation. I know I bring that situation up a lot, but as, as sports fans, we do complain a lot about what's fair and what's not. But I think we've got to look at our, look at ourselves in the mirror when we criticize these kinds of things. I know uh, we on the last episode we we discussed the cheerleader drama that the NFL is dealing with, and, and is that stuff fair? How cheerleaders are held to a different standard than men. I I mean, sure, we can say it's unfair, but at the end of the day, those who have big job titles and are bigger names out there, and Patricia being a former Patriot, of course, automatically a big name, and someone who is viewed very highly, he could get a free pass on this. If, if the Lions get off to a great start in his tenure, pretty much it's got to be how Andy Reid started with the Chiefs, starting 9-0. He's got to have a similar start with the Lions in that regard. And if he doesn't, this is going to be a big story. And people are going to say, well, not only do the Lions suck, they have a rapist on their team. I mean, those are the kinds of comments people are going to say about the Lions. Very crazy story. It's hard to really go into that and just imagine that this is a secret for such a long time. But... You know what, like I said, we can talk about fair or unfair, but if the Lions get off to a similar start the way Andy Reid did in his first year with the Chiefs, this topic goes away. But if the Lions do terrible, if they start 0-3, 0-4, well, in addition to losing, people are going to bring up uh, what happened in his past. Even though it was 22 years ago, it will still be brought up, and it's going to be hard to run away from that. Uh, Again, maybe not the most fair thing in the world, but... Uh, that's the way it works. If this is a, and again, because of his position being a head coach, he has a chance to kind of just shake this story off his shoulders by simply winning. If you're a nobody, hey, too bad. It's uh, one strike, you're out. Uh, but given his success in the past as an assistant with the Patriots, of course, one of the more successful franchises in recent years, Matt Patricia's probably going to be given an opportunity to shake it off again by simply finding a way to win games. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that topic or anything we discussed here on this podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzee and Twitter.com slash Farzee 21. Like and follow my page on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Email me as well, Farzee at Farzee Big thanks once again to Matt Miller of Bleacher Report joining us here on the Chief Zone podcast. Next Tuesday, we will have Dan Shanka from OurLads.com joining us on the podcast. We'll continue to talk about the Chiefs offseason, go over their draft a little bit more into detail with Dan. And I also do want to ask him about that, uh, that that story, that incident where he was suggesting Albert Hainsworth. I'm intrigued by that. I really am. So we'll talk to Dan about that next week. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Subscribe to the podcast. Talk to you next week.